And, you know, I think that another thing that the that, that L&D people in particular can do is just continue to advertise your interest in, in, in getting people from non-traditional backgrounds. You read a lot now about how it's, it needs to be about skills and not credentials. And I really believe that, you know, one of the things that uh, as a small business, it's really important for us is that we not just say we only want people who've worked at other public relations firms, or we only want people who understand how to, how to talk to media. It's great if you come in with that experience, but we have people who work for us who have wonderful transferable skills throughout their career. And now they're doing things at a high level that they never thought they could do. David, welcome to the Making Better podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Matt. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. I am really excited to have you on because a little while ago, you know, so what we're going to be talking about today for all the listeners is the Supreme Court's affirmative action decision that, that came down relatively recently. And I'll admit, like I said at the beginning, talking to you, um, I didn't immediately connect it to the corporate world, right? I thought college admissions, okay, that, that, that's a thing. There's a whole discussion to be had about it, but I didn't immediately like connect it to, the, to more directly what I do. And then I start listening to podcasts about the decision and it seems like there's definitely some relevancy there. And so I thought there's really some great space for a discussion of how do we think this is going to impact corporate learning and development, DE&I functions, what can we be doing to, um, what should we be adjusting the kind of how, how we operate within organizations? Um, yes. So that, that's kind of set the frame of the discussion. Cool. Uh, but, but before we get to that, I'd love to hear from you. So um, what, what's your background kind of, how, how did you arrive at, at doing stuff kind of in, in the DEI space? Sure, thanks. Yeah, so communications is everything for us at Rudd Resources. And that means that when we are approached about supporting um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, programs at a corporate level, we look at that in terms of how do you communicate what you're doing, your commitment to it, uh, how, how important it is to the mission of your organization or your company. So typically what we will do is just that consult from the standpoint of uh, messaging, what are the channels, who are the people who need to talk about corporate diversity, equity and inclusion within your organization. Um, and we've done that for, you know, Fortune Fortune 500 companies. We've done it for smaller organizations. Uh, we did a lot, you know, a few years ago in the aftermath of the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor uh, tragedies when people were just not sure what to say about their mission. They wanted to make sure that they were seen as good corporate citizens. They wanted to make sure that they held on to their employees. And oftentimes we were, we were, we were asked to give our advice and counsel on how to uh, express all of those uh good intentions and plans. So that's sort of how we come to it is making sure that people feel comfortable uh, communicating their mission and their, and their values when it comes to DE&I. That, that's awesome. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was excited to have you on about this is because you've interacted with so many different organizations yeah. through, through this kind of lens of like of talking to lots of different teams that are practicing. So you've probably seen a lot of different stuff. Um, so could you give us a quick lay of the land of, you know, I think most people have probably seen, they know there was a Supreme yep. Court decision about affirmative action. Um, but what what was it? What what happened? Sure. So just by way of a quick overview. 
So in students for fair admissions versus president and fellows of Harvard College, uh, both of Harvard College and the University of North Carolina, uh, the Supreme Court struck down race conscious admissions at colleges and universities. So I'll repeat that they struck down race conscious admissions at colleges and universities. But what people should understand, and many things people should understand just factually before we even get into the reaction to the, to the judgment, is that employers can still lawfully implement diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility programs that are seeking to ensure uh, workers of all backgrounds are afforded equal opportunity in the workplace. So there's nothing that says you should no longer, uh, you, yes. you got vulnerability, you can't do this uh, legally in the workforce when it comes to ensuring equal opportunity. So that's one of the key things to know if you are uh, you know, in a company or you're thinking about learning and development programs for your employees. I think I think that's a big one because I know you know just like everything in in today's world, everybody wants to take it to the extreme. Yep. And I and I, I know there were some there were some organizations on certain extremes that were saying you know DEI is now illegal and it clearly is not. Right. <laughs> you know it, fair, fairness is never going to be equal. Right. <laughs> or, or it's never going to be illegal. That's right. Uh, you know, and so um, I think for our pers from our perspective, you know, there is a it, with all things in the Supreme Court, it's always there's a very specific thing that they're ruling on. That's right. And then everything else until it is at some point it now many other things could be brought in brought in front of the court with this as a precedent. But it, until that precedent is applied, it doesn't mean it does anything other than, than the ruling. So I think that's always a really important. Take that on. is the key. I think that's one of the key observations, Matt, is that there we are now in a period of great legal ambiguity. What will it mean mm -hmm. for um, hiring practices and recruitment and retention practices? What will it mean for how you, uh, you know, address matters of, of diversity from all angles, LGBTQ+, racial, gender, all of it, you know, faith-based diversity, all of it's, you know, one of the things that, we, there are many things that we know about diversity, but one thing is that it has many dimensions that all need yes. to be respected. And we just don't know exactly what this could mean. But to your point, there are uh, advocates uh, on the, you know, on one side of the spectrum that are eager to say, this means that all DE&I programs are done and it's a wrap. <laughs> and, and they are eager to come after uh, hiring programs and are eager to go after some of the better, you know, some of the most well-known global brands that we know uh, and attack them on their diversity, equity, inclusion programs. Um, and we'll get into it, but I think that, that what you'll hear me say a few times in this conversation is that those organizations simply need to be focused on the future. And the future continues to, and trends continue to show us the workforce is becoming more diverse. Talent comes in all packages. Uh, in any organization that's approaching this from the standpoint of fear, I have to protect a position lest I get sued. I think is automatically mm. and already sort of on the wrong side mm. of the argument is going to is probably doomed to fail in mm. some way. I mean, that's such a great that's just a great point to footstop right there of just like if any time you're making corporate decisions from a point of fear right. or from a point of defense versus from a point of like engagement and embracing uh, and, you know, wanting to do the right thing, do bring in the best people. Um, there's clearly a, a right way to kind of set those policies. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we'll get into all of this, but but 
study after study, and I know that you're, you're into this as well, study after study has shown the companies that uh, are intentional and, and determined about diversity, equity, inclusion simply do better. It's not just a social right thing to do, it's financially the right thing to do yeah. when you look at their returns on, on investment, when you look at their cash flow, obviously when you look at innovation. Uh, you know, I think we, we've seen for years now the benefits from a, from a bottom line perspective of diversity. So I, I just couldn't understand why a company would want to run from that, especially when you look at your future marketplace and your future workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, there's definitely some studies we can link to yeah. in, the, in the show notes for yep. that. So in outside of that, just like since so much of this is, as you said, kind of a point of ambiguity or a moment of ambiguity, are you having discussions where people like, what are people seeing of kind of the direction that this is going? Are there initial implications that people are, are expecting in, in their workplaces and uh, regards to programs that it's going to affect or, you know, decisions from executive leadership that they're, that they're making differently? Or are you hearing anything in the discussions that you're having? Well, one thing that fortunately I'm not hearing is this retrenchment in, in this fear that we talk about. Right. I think that's probably in large part Matt, because of the company that we keep, the company that we keep will include organizations and companies that will remain uh, very yeah. serious about their commitment. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just today learned of, of a client, uh, one of one of the Fortune 500 clients that we've had that wants to move forward on uh, on a on a conference that advances diversity, and the conference is focused on leadership within within the ranks of its uh, Black and Latinx employees. So, you know really gratified to hear that. But what I can speak to um, is is what I read. And I definitely read that, that people are concerned about an assault on their programs. Um, they're concerned that we will uh, retreat back to a position of compliance uh, as, mm -hmm. as when it comes to diversity and equity inclusion. I think when you talk about the, the, um, um, the, the trajectory of DEI programs at companies that in the past, it typically starts with compliance. We simply have to do what the law yeah. requires and mandates that we do. And then it graduates into, well, we want to do this because it's the right thing to do because we want to be seen as a good corporate neighbor. We want to be seen, uh, you know, we want to have good CSR reports. And then it graduates to, we recognize, as I was saying a minute ago, the value that DEI has with regards to how we make money and how we innovate. So I think that there are concerns that we will retreat back to that compliance position. Um, and I've read that, you know, I've read that people are, are concerned about, you know, a, you know, lawsuits and they're going to come. Let's, let's not, let's be real about that. Those lawsuits are going to come, no question about it. But I think that um, I, I, I tend to lean on the side of, let's not be too concerned about compliance. Let's take this as it comes, as you said, one ruling about college admissions does not beget automatically uh, a, a string of, of actions that, that should be taken at a, at a company and certainly within its learning and development programs. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking about those kind of different levels, one thing that also struck me is when you think about what the case was about, it was feel much more feeling about that compliance realm yes. of like, you know, checkboxes and numbers mm -hmm. and quotas. And that, that tends to be what people think of when they think of affirmative action, right or wrong. That's often what comes to mind. And when you think of broader diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, that's the most 
basic yeah. beginning point you should be at anyway. That's right. You know, if the, if that's all you're doing with your program, then you're just getting there's there's so much more richness of what it takes to create. You can you can do a lot of work creating an inclusive culture without doing anything around quotas or <laughs> or tracking or or anything like that. Um, yeah, what 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 are those other things that you that you've seen with some of the teams that that um, that seem to work really well? Well, one thing that I think is really going to be important in the wake of this decision is sort of a focus on allyship, right? So we understand mm. that within companies you'll have the affinity groups slash ERGs, you'll you'll have programs and systems that are set up to create safe spaces. You'll even have programs that are designed to uh, have special learning and training programs to help uh, uh, employees of color rise through the ranks. Um, and all of that is, is, needs to be accompanied by sponsors and allies. And so I think that what we'll definitely see is a need to promote um, allyship and companies that are serious about promoting and maintaining talent. And as I said, and I'll always say, talent comes in all packages. So if you are a believer of that, then you will want to make sure that you have a whole network of allies and sponsors who are supporting um, those African-American or women or LGBTQ plus, uh, you know, uh, professionals as they try to rise to the ranks of the company. So that allyship is going to really be important um, and really incentivizing it, you know, showing that we, we take this so seriously that we want to we want our allies to to see the benefit to them personally in their careers by, by you know, really getting behind and supporting and lifting up uh, emerging talent in that way. And, you know, I think that another thing that, that, that L&D people in particular can do is just continue to advertise your interest in, in, in getting people from non-traditional backgrounds. You read a lot now mm. about how it's, it needs to be about skills and not credentials. And I really believe that, yes. you know, one of the things that uh, as a small business, it's really important for us is that we not just say we only want people who've worked at other public relations firms or we only want people who understand how to how to talk to media. It's great if you come in with that experience, but we have people who work for us who have wonderful transferable skills throughout their career. And now they're doing things at a high level that they never thought they could do. So I think yeah. even in a, for a small company like ours, a micro company like ours, we show what can be done at a large company if you expand your thinking and sort of open the aperture and really let uh, different kinds of talent shine through. And that's that's part and parcel of what comes with DEI. Yeah, and that I think that expansion phrase can be used in a lot of ways because I think, you know, one thing that I was going to ask a little bit later on is, you know, for learning professionals, DEI practitioners, what are some of the things that you can do to, you know, whether it's defend programs or continue to promote programs in kind of a different thought environment or head headspace around this. One of them seems to be just expanding what you think of as DE and I, these are good. These are just good ideas. They're not good diversity, equity, inclusion right. initiatives. They're just good initiatives. And I think that's something that broader L and D is really focusing on a lot right now is this shift on business results and business initiatives, you know, aligning learning with the business. Yes. Um, and I think that's probably part of this whole discussion is just like, as long as you're, you know, you need to be talking about what's, what's the right thing and the good thing for the business. And it's going to be creating a more diverse 
equal and inclusive culture. Like that's just what's going to happen. And that's right, because it's the right thing to do, because just look at the trends. The, the workforce is diversifying. Uh, we know that the workforce is diversifying. That's a fact. One of the facts that we also see across so many companies, unfortunately, too many companies, is that at the man, the senior management or leadership ranks, that's where it's not so diverse. And, and that's yeah. still a, a hill that needs to be climbed. And I think many companies are trying to have put in place programs that, that structurally get at that problem is that we need to understand the special uh, considerations. And this was what they are. We, we need to understand the special considerations and issues confronted by people of difference as they try to ascend into management and senior management ranks. We still have that hill to climb. I was just reading a trend report you know, that said that one of the trends is we'll need to basically account for people's lack of social skills, right? Because of what we've just gone through with the pandemic and mm. they just don't know how to relate to people from a social skill standpoint. So if we're willing to make those accommodations, why can't we make accommodations for diversity in so many ways? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. That's totally yeah. right. Uh, um, so I imagine from your perspective, you're talking to a lot of the C-suite or at least the higher level yep. folks and getting, you know, as they're bringing, choosing whether or not to bring your, you in, um, to, to work with them. Um, what are you, and you know, though you're specifically talking about messaging, um, what suggestions do you have for practitioners in the business out there to help advance this message in a way that's going to resonate with higher level leadership. The week, so yeah. right, the episode before this one got released was a sales episode where we had a, somebody from uh, somebody who specialized in sales and all the whole discussion was about, you know, how do you, you know, you have to talk differently in some ways, or they care, the frontline cares uh -oh. about different things than the managers Hello? and the directors and the executive level. And it's about tailoring your message. Um, when it comes to the discussions that you have around this, what messaging do you see as really effective? I think one key message is effective, Matt, and that is future proof your company from talent drain. Talented mm. people, and like I said, talent comes in every package will understand when they are at a company that, is, that does not uh, sort of walk the talk when it, when it comes to creating a safe place where I can feel comfortable uh, expressing my unique, uh, you know, values and opinions. They'll see that. They'll be able to see right through the, the, the lip service and go someplace else. And it, and it it's, it's well documented and you and your listeners know far better than I do how much it, how much you lose when you have to lose an employee and then pay to up yeah. onboard a new employee. I know that from the standpoint of even a small business. So why yeah. wouldn't you want to future proof your, your company uh, against talent drains uh, and against talented people leaving? So I think to me, when it comes to structuring effective training and development programs, they need to be structured and, and presented in a way that recognizes difference in a way that recognizes inclusion in um, a way that recognizes that, that, um, different is not deficient, right? We may process mm -hmm. information differently. We may see the world differently, but that does, that does not make me deficient relative to anybody else. So all of these things, you know, I like to say that DNI really stands for uh, diligence and intention, intentionality. That to me is really what it means, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going to be diligent in the I face like of these headwinds, if you're going to be intentional in the face of these headwinds, we don't know what's coming next. We know the college admissions have been impacted, unfortunately. Uh, and that gets into a talent, a pipeline issue. I'll talk, I'll talk about that in a second. But 
you know, if you're going to be serious about keeping the best people in a diverse, in a constantly diversifying world, then you shouldn't be too shaken by what the Supreme Court has done. We'll see what the future holds. But, you know, yeah. one thing, you know, I mentioned a second ago is that um, this decision could really impact the pipeline. You know, I sit here mm -hmm. as an African-American man. I co-own a business with, with an African-American woman who's my wife. And we both went to Northwestern University. Um, we, we went to school, you know, in the in the late 80s. And so things were, you know, much better than they were 30 years ago when black folks couldn't even live on campus. Um, not very long ago. But, you know, we're proud. We're even what's what's going on with the athletic department right now. We're still we're proud alumni of Northwestern University. We're proud. We know people who proudly went to Ivy League schools and, and to, you know, my son and daughters went to great SEC schools. And we know that they are able to claim proud membership in those alumni groups because they were, you know, they they had special attention paid to their needs. Everybody should have, you know, access to those schools. We have to acknowledge the historical and systemic barriers that have prevented uh, talent of all packages and colors from reaching admission into Ivy League schools or, you know, reaching the, the senior management levels at ExxonMobil or PepsiCo, whatever the case may be. So we still have these issues to confront and they're structural and they're systemic and and what we, we cannot be deterred by one Supreme Court ruling because again, we have to be, as I said, uh, diligent and intentional. Yeah, and, and kind of on that point, one, I think even if, no matter what you think about the, this decision, a, what seems to be a good thing coming out of the decision is it's already started I think I think I've seen at least one lawsuit targeting legacy admissions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which, if you know about college admissions, like that's kind of a that's a big. Thing. That's right. <laughs> that that's a that that could be a really a big game changer. It could be. Um, um, but to keep going down this road, like you mentioned, you know, so the the pipeline issue, um, it kind of makes corporate DEI initiatives all the more important. Then yes, we need to be all the more active of looking for new places of That's talent because right. you can't just automatically say college degree i That's believe right. you know like it's not going to get you the kind of pool that you need to be effective long term yeah. that's one of the things that i've always loved matt about working in de and i work is that it forces you to just really disrupt your past ways of thinking right mm -hmm. it really forces you to 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 ask yourself are my am i are my learning and development programs really helpful to the people who are going to be my future employees and my future leaders? Are they really maximizing their experience in my company? Uh, or do I need to, to, to break it all up and, and reinvent what I do from an L&D perspective? Do I need to break up what I do from a recruitment perspective? Like you just said, you can't say, well, this, this, this person checks the box, went to Yale, went to Harvard Law, you know, went belong to this uh, secret society, whatever the case may be. You are totally shutting yourself off from all you know, all uh, rivers of talent, if you just sort of think in those traditional boxes and try to check those boxes. And really, you know, the thing that upsets me most is this mentality of loss. I have to protect something or else I'm going to lose as opposed to I'm going to open up my arms and gain that much more. That's what we're really talking about here. And smart companies recognize that. Yeah. And I think it's also that pipeline of, I always think about it as the pipeline of ideas, right? Yep. It's, it's just like our ideas come from our experiences 
full stop. Like there's, there's nowhere else for them to come from. And so if everyone in your workforce has the same experiences, they're going to have the same ideas. Right. And, and the That's only right. way you can branch out is by, is by getting different experiences. And that can be, um, by hiring different races, different genders, different sexualities, different socioeconomic statuses, the, the range of what it means to be diverse is diverse. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, so I think there, there's always a new way to, to look at this, um, which is, I think what makes it so interesting, but also challenging. It is a challenge. And, and part of the challenge is obviously we'll have to keep an eye on what happens now that this ruling has come down. We'll have to keep a close eye on things. But I don't think that means we go catatonic. I don't think that means that we, you know, that smart companies will retrench into this position of, you know, let's, let's defend ourselves against assault. I'd say go on the offense, you know, really continue on your path of uh, attracting people who will allow you to capitalize on markets of the future and talents of the future. And, and you know, if you look at why do, why do companies cut costs? Why do companies make investments in other companies because they want to grow. So at the end of the day, uh, what we're talking about here is 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 growing through DNI, not not sort of holding back our growth. I love that. So if, if I was to kind of think about this discussion and like the main takeaways, the two main points that I have so far are one, it's a single decision right. in an isolated situation. Let's not overinflate what it means right <laughs> right it has a very specific mean so that that's the one that's with one like case. you said with any supreme court decision that's how you have exactly. to treat each one right exactly with any supreme court decision and then the second thing is if if there is a message a, a message or a way to act differently it's just to continue to focus dei on like you said connecting your efforts to growth yes. to impact to things that you're able to accomplish through it, yes. not compliance. Because not only is that not necessarily as helpful in the long run, um, it's it's just it's just not what you want to be focusing on at this point. I don't think so. I think it's a real, it's a good way to drive your talent away in a, in a time when we, sh you know, uh, no company should be trying to push people away. You should be trying to retain and grow the very best and attract the very best. And like I said, employees will see right through uh, right through, you know, a toxic culture and they'll go someplace else. They simply will just Absolutely. go someplace else. I mean, it, it all, it all sizes companies see that every day. So, you know, why would you obsolete yourself and shut yourself off from talent as opposed to really saying, no, we're committed to this and we want you here. We want you to grow here. And that's to me, Absolutely. those, again, from a communication standpoint, those are some of the key messages. If I were putting together a message house, as we like to call it here at Rudd Resources, that would, that would be the key message as we want you here and we, we are committed to your growth here. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, this has been, this has been awesome. Any David, anything that we haven't covered? I know, I know you spent some time preparing for this conversation. Any key things that you, uh, think people need to know, um, before we, before we close out, you know, just really, as I said, Matt, just, just continue to be diligent and be, intentional. Uh, we still have challenges at that senior leadership level. So continue to, 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 to be committed in those spaces, continue to be committed to, to open recruitment and, and just recognize that your, your employers are not, your employees are not dumb. They've got options in this day and age because of shortages. Mm -hmm. You know, every trend yep. that I read talks about labor shortages. So if they're not yep. happy with you, they'll be happy someplace else. So why would you risk it? 
Yep. I think that's a hundred percent right. Um, well, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank David. You. It's been great. Um, I definitely think we'll, we'll talk more soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full-service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.